Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Hope things are going well as we hit midweek and as we are continuing through the book of Exodus. We're in the 17th chapter, starting with verse 8, a story that I don't, I don't know if this is familiar. It maybe doesn't stand out. An interesting story. The first instance we've seen with Israel having an enemy of sorts, you know, not counting Egypt, whom they really didn't fight with, they now find themselves challenged. Most of the challenges we've seen so far have come internally. This is an external challenge. So I'll read this passage, then we'll circle back and talk about it. Then Amalek came, fought with Israel at Rephidim. Moses said, did Joshua choose some men for us and go out and fight Amalek? Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other. So his hands were steady until the sun set, and Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a reminder in a book and recite it in the hearing of Joshua. I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, A hand upon the banner of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So uh, a couple of things here. I think the introduction of a new character, the character of Joshua, also the character of her in the story, her is not going to be probably near as significant. Joshua goes on to eventually become leader of the Israelites. He'll make a few more appearances in this book, but he is, Joshua is celebrated as a military leader. Certainly that's the case here, though, enough, Michael, the battle isn't secured by Joshua's efforts. It's interesting. This is one of those strange texts where Moses somehow knows what to do or discovers what to do. There's supernatural divine help happening here, but God doesn't tell him, or at least God doesn't initiate it in the context of the story. But it, it is clear that the people's victory is not entirely the result of their own strength. There is more going on here than that. Yeah. If there's a summary of this story, Clint, I think it would be the difference that it marks in the story from things we've seen before. We have the introduction of new characters, both in the positive as well as the adversarial aspect. So we have Joshua introduced, as you said, he's going to later become a significant figure as he takes leadership roles going forward and then ultimately becomes the sole person responsible for the people as they make their way into the promised land. But then we have Amalek, who here is this opponent who rises up against the people. We have already had some comments. We've already known because the text has mentioned that there were adversaries out there. In fact, right immediately surrounding the Exodus narrative, you had that language that God didn't want them to see them because God knew that they would not have faith, that they wouldn't trust God. But here, that is not raised. We don't have that explicitly mentioned in any significant way. The story just continues on with, as is the case in most of Exodus, a simplistic kind of narrative, a really brief account. And where it really lingers is here around verse 12, where we start seeing that Moses 
once again, Clint, you know, there's no divine revelation. There's no divine order given to Moses here, but rather he somehow knows that his job, his call, his part in this is to keep his hands raised. And, you know, I think a thing that sticks out to me in this, Clint, is Moses is, he maintains this very outside of the normal persona. He continues to be someone who is among, but not of. I mean, it is not the fighting men of Israel who will win the war. And And we don't really honestly think it's Moses who's winning the war. But yet Moses is the guy, he's this linchpin who stands in between, and it's his action, and it's God's work through that action of faith that will ultimately bring deliverance for the people. I I just think Moses' character here is what strikes me as interesting. It is, because literally as Moses' strength fades, so does Israel's. You know, right. when he holds up his hand, they, they're doing well, they're conquering, and when he fades, then they do, and they drop back, and, and Amalek begins to win. And so this back and forth continues. And, and this is one of those passages, we mentioned this yesterday, this is a, a fun kind of passage in the sense that there are these backstories or sub-stories that are inside of this. So here you have Moses growing weariness is a wonderful biblical image. It's a wonderful kind of devotional idea. And then you have these two people, Aaron and her, who hold up his hands. That when Moses no longer has his own strength, when he's given all that he has to offer, he has people who compensate for him. They literally take his hands and hold them up. And so now they have a, a role in Israel's victory as well. And it's a, it, this is a great kind of community, friendship story. Who is it that lifts you when you're hurting, when you're tired, when you're fatigued? I, I think, you know, the way this story is told is, is really helpful and gives us a, an easy point to jump off and think about it in a more devotional way than just a history text. And so I, I think that aspect of the story is really interesting. Sometimes in a story like this, Clint, especially when reading the Old Testament, it's important to pay attention to some of the smaller details because some of those small uh, little hooks in the narrative become really significant and at, if not significant, at least very interesting. I want to point out one of those for you here, actually. So this altar that we have named, he builds an altar and calls it the Lord is my banner. The word banner here shares a root in Hebrew. The way that that language works is a part of that word banner also gets used in other conjugations and other forms of that word to, to be test. And if that's the case, then remember the stories that came before, right? Remember how in the last episode where we just were yesterday when we were looking at the miracle of water from the rock and this idea that the people were quarreling. Moses literally talked about how they were testing God. And here, once again, on the backside of this story, we have another perspective of that kind of testing here. If you're going to use that frame, the the people trusted God. Would we be comfortable saying if they passed the test? I'm not sure that we would. I do think we would say on the backside of this, very clearly, God has been faithful to the people through the victory. And we also, though, we see the people of Israel 
taking part in that in a way like we haven't. I mean, Joshua is leading the fighty men. It is Joshua's leadership that we see highlighted and celebrated. So, you know, if we've had some stories here where the people have been failing to trust and they've been moving to quarrelsome and complaining and all of these negative behaviors, here we have the people coming on the other side of a victory. And that involving all of this cast of characters, I, I think it just makes it a really interesting story. And it, it continues the narrative on. It, it changes the narrative from that sort of pattern that we had seen. Yeah, I would, I would say that's accurate. Also, I think there's a tie here with the Egypt story. You know, we get told here that Amalek came and fought with Israel. So Amalek is the aggressor here. And as a result, the last time we saw a leader go to war with God against God's people, they had terrible consequences. And the same is true here. God tells Moses at the end, I, I'm going to blot out a remembrance of Amalek from under the heaven. I, I'm going to erase his name and the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. In other words, the enemy of my people is my enemy. And God, again, battles them and utterly conquers them and, and seems to revel in the idea that he's going to put them into obscurity. And we don't, we don't know much, maybe for this reason, we don't know much about Amalek. We don't know why he attacks it. We, we just get told that somebody goes to war with God's people and God takes it very, very personally and takes it upon himself to blot out memory, remembrance of that very person. And so, again, I, I think of a restating of a theme that we've kind of seen in the Israel part or the Egyptian part of the story. I remember reading this story as a child and thinking it was really interesting. There's something very visual about the idea that Moses keeps his hands up and that as he gets tired, the battle becomes more difficult. I think that it is one of those biblical stories that is easy to read, think that's interesting, and then just pass by. And then that said, on the other hand, I'm not entirely certain that this is as devotional as some other texts we've had. Even sure. in the complaining, I think the quarreling narratives that we just had recently, we can put ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites. In the case of this story, I think most of us would find it difficult to either imagine being the one on the ground with the warfare or the one holding their hand in there. There's a kind of provisionness to this story. There's even a kind of specificity in the naming of Amalek and the recognition that it's that particular person whose memory will be blotted out. I, a story like this is important, but it, it does remind me personally, Clint, that this wasn't written to me. In fact, it was written thousands of years ago. It was sure. written with a kind of shared memory, uh, things that the readers would have certainly known who received this that we, on some level, speculate about. Yeah, and I, I think there's, you know, there's a kind of tempering here, too, of the Moses story, because Moses is simultaneously lifted up as the force behind Israel's strength, but he's also, it also makes it clear that he lacks his own strength and ultimately has to be helped. And so this, this text, in a strange way, both elevates and humbles Moses in his leadership role. And I, I think that has to be intentional. I, I think that that's probably a, a 
on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately moves the story along in, in an essential way, because this story introduces us to Joshua, who is going to, in many ways, carry on what Moses is unable to do. Right. And, you know, I think that that is one of the most fascinating aspects of a book like Exodus is it spends so much time introducing us to Moses, helping us to see how he's essential, how even back when he's arguing with God over that he shouldn't be the one to go speak to Pharaoh, God makes it clear that God has chosen Moses. Moses is the one to do the task. And now in a text like this, we already are seeing foreshadowing that Moses isn't the ultimate character. He's not going to be the pinnacle of the leadership of Israel, that God will continue to pass on those leaders who God chooses to raise up. And I think in that way, maybe this story is significant. If you look at the whole arc of the narrative, we had that pivotal moment going through the Red Sea. Now we have a pivotal moment in the introduction of Joseph, and it's only going to keep turning as the story goes. Yeah, and I think, you know, tomorrow we'll look at a text that will continue to balance Moses' central role with his limitations. And I think this gives us a nice introduction to that. So hope you can be with us tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in today. Thanks for joining us and listening. Hope there's something in it that you could find helpful. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow.